This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Don't let that little bit of rain last weekend fool you. California is in its third year of a historic drought. The State Water Board declared that January, February, and March were the driest months on record. And though he hasn't yet announced mandatory statewide water cuts, Governor Gavin Newsom is getting more serious. On Monday, he ordered California water agencies to implement aggressive water conservation rules. Californians have lived with this truth for years now. Our water resources are thinning, and our land is drier and more flammable than it's been in a long time. What exactly are we bracing ourselves for as we enter the month of April? And is there any glimmer of hope? Chronicle Climate reporter Curtis Alexander says yes, there is. But he'll also give us the hard truths on the drought crisis. His recent reporting paints a picture of what we're heading into— how water conservation efforts are going, what we've learned about the ways that wildfire smoke impacts our health, and how prepared the state is for what will be a brutal fire season. Curtis, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. So, Curtis, let's cut to the chase on the current drought situation in the state. How's it looking? It's really, really dry. I mean, we started this year with a January that set records for lack of precipitation And we thought February was going to be wet, and it wasn't. Then we thought March was going to be wet, and it hasn't been. Since the beginning of this year, there's several Bay Area communities that have seen less than a quarter inch of water, which is hardly any rain. San Jose, Livermore, Concord, the list goes on. I think here in San Francisco, we've seen about an inch of rain since January 1st. Whereas normally by the end of March, we've had a foot of rain. So we're in a really big hole and um, we're getting into April and that's typically when our rainy season ends. So we're all but insured a third year of drought. And because we've had two dry years behind us, we're just going to see the compounding effects. And California Governor Newsom had set a goal of reducing water usage by 15 percent. That's what he asked of all Californian residents. Have we met that goal? How are we doing on that front? I don't think we're doing very well. Some parts of the state have done a lot better than others. Here in the Bay Area, we've cut our water use between 10 and 11 percent between last summer and the end of January. I think in San Francisco, we've done particularly well. Um, Folks have cut back about 15%. You've also seen this level of conservation up north in the Russian River Valley, where there's been severe water shortages along the north coast. But in parts of the Central Valley and Southern California, conservation hasn't been as good. And statewide, we're looking at about between 6 and 7% of a water reduction since last summer, which is, um, you know, less than half of what the governor has asked for. So not a good report card there. We we haven't met this reduction uh, goal that Newsom had set. So does that sort of set the stage for California to implement mandatory water caps at some point? I know the governor hasn't done that yet, but are we heading in that direction? 
That's a really good question. I think a lot of people have expected the governor by now to put in place mandatory water reductions for urban residents um, during the last drought of last decade. Newsom's predecessor, Jerry Brown, put in place 25% statewide water reductions for urban water users. And um, the Newsom administration has taken a number of steps to try to get communities to cut back their water use um, in terms of outdoor watering. And then even this week, um, the governor had another directive that told local suppliers to prepare for 20% water shortages. But um, at this point, there has not been a blanket statewide mandate for water reductions. Water, like a lot of issues, is a very local issue. And whereas some water agencies are doing really, really badly with their water supplies because of the drought, there are other water agencies like San Francisco that do have a lot of water. So when you have like a one-size-fits-all rule, it's not necessarily good. Um, But on the other hand, you have people who are saying, there should be this statewide mandate because it sends a strong a strong message that that we're in a drought and uh, it it tends to get people to conserve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Bay Area relies on state water supplies. How is that looking? State water supplies are pretty bad. Uh, I was just looking earlier at some of our big uh, reservoirs that supply millions of people with drinking water. And Shasta Lake, which is the largest, was at 38% capacity this week, which is about half of where it normally stands this time of year. Lake Orville, which is the second largest reservoir, was at 47% of capacity this week, which is about two-thirds of where it normally stands. Mm. Looking at the snowpack, which at this point in the year is what is going to fill and recharge these reservoirs, uh, the snowpack is not looking good. Um, snowpack is less than 50%. I think it might have been closer to 40%, which means that when it melts, it's not going to give the reservoirs another charge in late spring, early summer when it normally does. Now, you mentioned that San Francisco's water supply is in a better spot right now, but you recently wrote a story about how San Francisco residents will still sort of feel the brunt of another dry season. Can you explain that to me? The Hetch Hetchy area up in Yosemite, where San Francisco gets its water, has received a good bit of rain, and the city has been good about conserving supplies. But I guess the one downside of it, which I think you were referring to a story I wrote last week, was that because people are using less water, the city is getting less revenue from its water users and um, hasn't been able to cover its cost. And this is something you're seeing with state water agencies across the state. People conserve water. There's not as much money. They don't have money to run their operations. Um, So starting on Friday, the city is going to raise water rates for water customers 5%. And um, that's just one of the downsides that you have to kind of face when you're in this situation. More with Curtis Alexander after a quick break. Now that we've established how dry the state is, what does that mean for the upcoming fire season and those inevitable smoky skies? We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Curtis, before the break, you shared how low water supplies are in the state. So 
Naturally, I want to ask about the upcoming fire season. You recently wrote a story about research that looked at the impact of wildfire smoke. Now that we have some data from years prior, what have we learned? We probably shouldn't be so quick to ditch our masks. Is that right? Yeah, first off, I I just say that I think you're right. A lot of people that I've talked to think it's going to be another really difficult fire season. We're entering a third year of drought. Temperatures continue to rise, and our forests still have a lot of the overgrown brush and trees that has made them more ripe for burning. And all of this just makes the fire season apt to be more of a problem. As far as the smoke goes, what the research that's coming out seems to be showing is that wildfire smoke is actually a lot worse for us than than we thought it was. And it's responsible not only for sort of respiratory problems that we associate with bad air, but with increased heart problems, with premature births, COVID-19, and just a, a, a raft of health issues that we didn't think were connected. Some studies have even shown that the particulate matter in smoke, which is the tiny particles that are in the air, um, are worse than the particulate matter that comes out of cars or factories. So um, mm. even short-term exposure to smoke, which we're experiencing in the Bay Area and other parts of California, just a couple weeks here and there, is going to have some sort of effect on our long-term health. And uh, a study that came out on Monday said that by 2050, we're going to have 50% more wildfire smoke or the particulate matter that's in the wildfire smoke in the air. And by the end of the century, we're going to have three times as much particulate matter. So, um, mm. yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not looking too good. And of course, this brings the question of whether our state is prepared to fight wildfires. You also recently reported about another scary consideration for this year's fire season, which is that there's a shortage of firefighting staff and crews. Tell me what's going on there. Well, the U.S. Forest Service over the past couple of years has been losing firefighters and They're the largest wildland fire agency across the country. Over the past three years, the Forest Service has lost more than 1,000 firefighters in California, which is more than 20% of its firefighting rank. So that can be a real problem on the fire line. There's a lot of reasons for that loss of staffing. First off, it's hard work. I mean, it's basically, you know, firefighting is a lot of standing around with shovels and digging lines in hot weather and smoky weather, using chainsaws to cut down trees all day for 16 hours. Um, And the work has gotten harder as the fire seasons have gotten longer. There's also been COVID, which has sidelined a lot of firefighters and has people thinking about what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And often that's firefighting. And then um, in California, the cost of living has also scared off a lot of firefighters. And that's on top of the low wages that federal firefighters have historically earned. Last year, they made less than the minimum wage of of $15 an hour. So now that there is this gap in federal resources, is that something that local fire departments or staffing could make up? Or does that kind of support really have to come from the federal level? A little bit of both. Um, The U.S. Forest Service works along CAL FIRE, the state's firefighting agencies, to fight most wildland fires. And uh, 
Fortunately, the state has had a budget surplus over the past couple of years, and it's been able to keep its firefighting ranks relatively stable. In fact, increase the number of firefighters in some spots. So Cal Fire is fairly well off. The Forest Service has contracted with local fire departments, city and county fire departments to fill their staffing holes. But these fire departments aren't always trained in wildland firefighting, so it's really not the same. At the federal level, the um, Biden administration has committed to putting more money into firefighting, and the U.S. Forest Service is trying to hire hundreds of people in California to become firefighters. But because of the obstacles, they still are facing challenges. So I don't expect them to be up to full staffing this fire season. Curtis, this all feels very grim. I understand that this is the reality of where we're at. Is there anything you can offer us, anything that might make us feel encouraged about our ability to withstand what will be a really brutal fire season? Well, there is a lot of bad out there, that's for sure. But uh, but there's also a lot of good out there. And um, if I had to point out a couple things, I, I guess the first thing I would point out is that this year was really, really dry, but the end of last year was really, really wet. Um, October and December both were record months in some parts of the state for rain. So some areas of the state did get pretty moist and more fireproof as a result of those storms. That's also been good for reservoirs. And then on the firefighting front, I think because last year and the year before that were so bad in terms of catastrophic wildfire, I think they served as a wake-up call for state and federal policymakers. I think there's been a lot more investment this past year into fire prevention and fire safety. There's been more money going toward building fire lines around around communities that are at risk of burning. There's been more money for prescribed fire to help burn out the overgrowth in forests that can make the fire so much worse. So all of this is sort of added up. And in the past, I don't think we've had such large-scale investment in this fire prevention effort. I spoke to um, one fire ecologist uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, he's been he's been in this field for 30 years. And uh, he said in his 30 years, this is the only year he's felt some optimism about mm. turning a corner on the fire crises. And that's that's because of our investment in some of these fire prevention efforts. Mm -hmm. Curtis, I'll take that. That was a good optimistic note to end our conversation on. So thank you for sharing that. And of course, the message is to our listeners is to keep conserving water, right? Absolutely. Curtis, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Curtis Alexander covers water, climate, and wildfires for The Chronicle. You can find his reporting at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. The Chronicle has a Bay Area drought map and tracker that provides updates on water shortages, reservoir levels, and water restrictions. Check it out at sfchronicle.com water. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 